All right, everybody, don't drop that fast forward button. The sponsorship roll call is about to begin. Energy Consulting Limited provides complete project management and general contracting services to a variety of private sector clients on both commercial and residential construction projects. They act as the owner's representatives through the planning, design, budgeting, scheduling, construction, and occupancy processes. Clients appreciate their open, honest, and flexible approach to achieving their project goals. Although they're located in Surrey, BC, Energy works on projects all over the province, including the growing cities of the north and the beautiful coastal towns of Vancouver Island. They're always excited to explore new places and develop relationships with professionals wherever their clients' interests may be. Abacus North is a firm that specializes in mortgage banking solutions for complex projects. In addition to providing financing solutions in a traditional mortgage broker capacity, Abacus North provides direct loans that range from $2 million to $25 million. On a syndicated basis, they provide mortgage banking solutions up to $300 million. In most cases, their in-house capital solutions can bridge financing gaps that traditional lenders are unable to service. They specialize in providing land acquisition loans, construction financing for large-scale developments, income-producing properties, and single-purpose facilities. With a portfolio that includes high-rise, mid-rise, and low-rise condominiums, townhouse developments, shopping centers, agricultural properties, industrial developments, and medical marijuana facilities, Abacus North is at the forefront of creative mortgage banking solutions with a focus on fostering long-term relationships. They are a multifaceted organization that services domestic and international clients with their mortgage banking needs. Complex financing solutions require analytical thinking well beyond a typical mortgage broker relationship. As a result, they focus on providing engineered solutions for their client. Their key differentiation strategy is that they assist clients in actively managing the capital stack in order to minimize borrowing costs while maximizing flexibility. Abacus North focuses on national and global opportunities. Ascentia CPA has a team of new-gen chartered professional accountants that are dedicated to advancing companies using expertise combined with emerging technologies. The team at Ascentia will implement the latest accounting technologies, allowing you to not only run a business, but to run a smart business that will excel in your industry. Their focus is to provide growth-centric, value-added, and timely accounting services for businesses, as well as individuals across Canada. Unlike standard accounting firms, by embracing cloud-based software, the team at Ascentia will provide you with real-time accounting information on a secure platform that is accessible anywhere at any time, allowing you to make better informed decisions and gain more controlled overview of your financial data. The reliability and expertise you will experience with the professionals at Ascentia will assist you in the preparation of corporate and personal tax returns, financial statements, bookkeeping, government filings, tax and estate planning, as well as business advisory services. For more information on the advantages of online accounting and to book a complimentary meeting online, be sure to visit ascentiacpa.ca. We are I. Okay, so like I was just saying, I googled some um, some articles and stuff to see what the narrative is with traditional Chinese medicine in regards to the coronavirus, um, and 
I just, I was looking at more like things to be able to help offer support or you know, like what some potential remedies are. But the, the only articles on the first basically two pages were the criticism that chi the Chinese government has fielded because they're shipping traditional Chinese herbs around the world. They specifically targeted two countries, Iran and Italy, and just really criticized about how there's no data backing up that anything is helping or, you know, it's irresponsible to the Chinese government to promote that these things may help. So like, obviously the things that I have a tough time with there are that everything that's being tried right now, none of it is proven. None of it is really tested. None of it is proven to be effective. Um, you know, in the West and the things that we are doing in the West, you know, but things like, you know, say traditional Chinese medicine, in my mind, I always come back to like, well, how bad can it really be? Like, obviously there's like some, you know, right. potential, you know, concoctions that somebody could come up with that, you know, may have adverse side effects, you know, whether it be allergies or, you know, like too much something, but like, I still find it a lot harder to believe that the side effects from a traditional Chinese medicine blend would be the same thing as like what the potential side effects are you know, with a lot of the Western medications that we are so easily offering people as like solutions to any problem. So um, like, what's your, what's your opinion? I agree with you a hundred percent. You know, there, there aren't the blind controlled studies like with, with acupuncture or with Chinese medicine, because uh, well, with COVID, there just aren't enough studies, period. I mean, we still don't know so much about it. The Chinese are um, promoting it because they've been using it in hospitals. And what they found is anecdotal evidence that patients are reporting, but also that clinicians are seeing in action. For example, in the very beginning of the pandemic, when people were coming in and in very late stages of COVID and being put on oxygen and on ventilators, they were having a, a really hard time trying to bring fevers down with Western drugs. And so what they would end up doing is making decoctions and actually they could administer them via intravenous or orally. And those decoctions of herbs, though you can't say that the herbs are going to eradicate the infection, what they were doing was in tandem with the Western drugs, bringing people's fevers down faster. And that was, that could be like a life or death situation, being able to bring that inflammation down. And so, <clears throat> excuse me. So, um, so they, all across Wuhan in the beginning, Chinese medicine was part of the treatment protocol. And then they started to bring in acupuncturists as well. And the acupuncture, um, people were reporting like that sensation of an elephant sitting on their chest and not being able to take a breath. And, um, or like a, like there's a busy, busy congested freeway in their chest that is at rush hour and there's a traffic jam. And then when they get the needle put in, this one lung point that all of a sudden, like it opened up, the elephant lifted off the chest, the traffic cleared. And that's how they were using, that's the language they were using to describe what they were feeling inside their body as a result, immediate result of having the acupuncture. And I mean, and that's like, you know, the, the acupuncturists are going in practically with a hazmat suit on and three pairs of rubber gloves and they're still able to find the points and, and, you know, get that effect. So, um, 
with the severity of this, I would say that we don't have the time and the luxury to look at double blind placebo controlled studies that really what practitioners, what doctors need to be doing is talking amongst each other about what they're seeing that works and as harmless as herbs are, integrating them into the treatment plan. I mean, Chinese medicine is not just something that, you know, developed a couple of weeks ago. It's something that's been around for thousands of years. And the mechanism of action behind the drugs is understood thoroughly by the practitioners. And not only are herb-drug interactions understood really well, but drug-drug, or I'm sorry, herb-herb interactions are understood. So when you look at the Chinese Materia Medica, you get a, a detailed analysis of an herb or the formula, and then you also get what other herbs or formulas it'll interact with. And then when you're trained as a Chinese herbalist, you're trained, you have a Western pharmacologist come in or a Western doctor come in who's really well-versed in pharmaceuticals and they go over with you the mechanism of action behind blood thinners and other types of drugs and what Chinese herbs can potentially increase the effects of those drugs in someone's system and which ones might be counterindicated because of that, for example. So it's not like we're just running around, you know, saying, oh, take this root, take this, this will cure everything. It's not like that at all. It's, and not only that, but the prevention formulas that the hospital staff were being given. And like in the case in Wuhan, when everything first exploded, they weren't able to, to um, uh, modify the formulas for each person like we would ordinarily do. They were just doing like, they would have create like huge batches in the pharmacy off the wing in the hospital. And um, they would give everybody the same thing in the hospital. And it was helping the doctors not to get sick and the hospital staff. And so, and then they were using it in the city. Like they were using it in, in villages um, in order to help prevent people, not just the, the citizens, but the, also the practitioners that were on the front lines, whether they were Western or Eastern medicine trained. Um, and in China, you get trained in Western medicine quite extensively um, as a Chinese medicine practitioner. And you do rotations in hospitals and stuff like that. So it's not like you know, it's kind of poo-pooed because it isn't, um, it doesn't fall in line with, you know, that closed-minded thinking that we've tend to, you know, just kind of think is the best way of thinking, which is if it's not double-blind placebo-controlled study that proves it, then it can't be right. Because we have plenty of examples of times when those things are wrong too, right? Like we'll believe oh, yeah. something true for several years and then all of a sudden, the opposite comes out about it. So, I mean, and this is the whole premise behind everything that, that I believe as far as medicine goes is that we need to get more uh, align, realigned with nature and our natural rhythms and, with, and, um, and use nature because we are nature. And using those herbs, especially in a situation like this where there is an unprecedented number of people that have actually consumed them and had benefit from them and are able to leave the hospital sooner 
are able to breathe better. Um, and I would be interested in knowing also the people that had COVID seriously in China, how they're faring now after they've recovered and if they're seeing the same uh, post-COVID syndrome types of things emerging, if they had herbs and if they're currently taking herbs as opposed to people who aren't, largely people in the United States and, and in other European countries perhaps. But I had heard that um, there were a lot of doctors in Italy that were using Chinese formulas in the hospitals there because, you know, it's a desperate situation. And so you go to anything, right? And um, anything just happens to be a really good option right now. Well, see, and the thing is too, like, you know, and, you know, when we say things like, like, you know, like anything like is an option or, you know, like if it is, specifically the Chinese medicine yeah, you know, and, not and, anything like any. Yeah, you know? and, and I and I fully understand exactly like where you're okay. I just, but like like I also see like you know how like these are our narratives here because even like when you were talking, I just happen to know so many people who who have been raised abroad, who you know have come back in, or that now live in Canada or you know I guess more Vancouver locally, and they say they they grew up in a system where there was an Eastern and a Western doctor who came to see you like at your visit like whether it be from like India to Sri Lanka, you know, to yeah. some friends from Asia and stuff. And they just said like, that's kind of standard practice over there. So, you know, when, when you talk about these things, you know, being mixed in hospitals and there being an Eastern practitioner and like there being that bloody, like we don't carry that same narrative here. So we automatically assume it's like, you're going to the dollar store to buy some herbs that like you're kind of, you know, mixing it. Like it just, it doesn't seem very authentic and real. Right. So like, and then, but like when I look at it, like what you said, like, well, if other countries, it's not like that some Chinese doctor sent to some Italian doctor some herbs, like you have a country shipping another country herbs. Yeah. like, obviously there's something that's valid behind it, but we immediately dismiss it as like, it can't be an option. And, you know, like, like you were saying, like, you know, COVID-19 might be relatively new, but respiratory issues sure aren't, you know, respiratory issues yeah you know so like for like you said for thousands of years there's been respiratory issues so like you know why would it you know what's so fascinating too is that it's not just a respiratory issue and the construction of the formula shows that yeah they were putting blood movers in the formula way back when before they even were on to the fact that there was all the blood clotting because mm -hmm. the chinese doctors knew the pattern that the person had as yeah. complicated and as crazy as they are with COVID, these patterns, um, and as, and as individual as they can manifest, they were seeing, you know, they were adjusting the formulas based upon what the person's pattern was or what the, at first, what like the general pattern was. And it did not take them long to figure out that they needed to put blood movers in the formulas because of the stagnation. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's, it's the whole, the whole like manifestation of this whole thing, the way that it moves through the channels and the levels that it drops through as it, as it infiltrates the body and sneaks past certain systems. It's like, it's like all played out in like these texts, these ancient texts from these, these like master doctors from the past and the way they explained 
that these pathogens would move through people's bodies and if it doesn't go this way then it can go that way and this and if that happens you have to do this to prevent it from going over here into this organ system or into this channel and so like all that stuff is already there for for the chinese doctor so it's not like they need to know like the ins and outs of all the little the chemicals and the molecules and all of the players in the entire immune system and and all the inflammatory players they don't need to know all that they need to know the framework that they have and just use what they were taught it and use those very specific but much more vague than the way we look at blood work and stuff in western medicine they need to use their their tools and their way of understanding how pathogen travels through the body and how to prevent it from going deeper. And that's what they were doing. That's what they've been doing. That's what we're all trying to do. And um, and now with the post COVID syndrome stuff, we're we're trying to uh, we're working with that too as practitioners, um, as far in with herbs. And um, I'm I've got a client right now who. Uh, had a pretty severe case and she is doing really well but it's taken her a while and she's after she started taking the herbs that's really when she started to turn the corner um, she started off with some acupuncture and and some cupping and then after that we once we were able to get her on the herbs it was like within a month her her entire energy had shifted she started to become herself again this thing if people end up with the COVID syndrome, I don't even, if they're calling it post COVID syndrome, that's what I'm calling it. Um, they, it's, it presents a lot like, like a Lyme or one of the co-infections. Yeah. And it, and it's seemingly, it's getting worse around women's menstrual cycles. Um, Actually, hold on, hold on, stop for a second. So this is something that I was going to bring up with you today about how, there's, I don't know if you've heard the, the narrative that there's a lot of misdiagnosed for COVID-19 because the symptoms also coincide with um, low iron levels. There's a lot of like mirroring of like symptoms and stuff. And obviously we know like low iron levels is affecting your hemoglobin levels when your hemoglobin levels are low, like, like you would know obviously very right. high, like the trickle down effect. But now they started releasing like all of these, like these are the signs to watch out for. There's so many people who are chronically low in iron. Yeah. Now there's a lot of like, so it's just funny that you said around like menstrual cycles, because that is a narrative that's starting to be able to accumulate around, you know, when you're, when people are being diagnosed with potential like COVID-19 and then having to go get tested. And then now then finding out after the fact that it, it wasn't COVID-19, but just severely deficient iron levels. Okay. So it's, it's interesting that you notice that we're like women is around their menstrual cycles. Yeah. It seems to be worse because like, obviously there's a, a play there between the two, right? Yeah. And I had, and then there's another, like another thing that happens with Lyme and its co-infections is that the, the life cycle of the spirochete, it, it's like it, it gets stronger around the full moon. And mm -hmm. I just had a woman in today who um, we suspect has like lingering COVID symptoms that she's dealing with. And it's it's worse right now around the full moon. It's yeah. completely flared up for her. So, um, so you know, we have a lot of tools in our arsenal as Chinese herbalists to deal with it. And um, and I'm finding that uh, so far treating it um, 
sort of like I would from the perspective of it being like a, a malarial type disorder or Shyong illness with sort of a, um, with a goo syndrome or a Lyme thing, which can have many presentations. It can be more neurological for some people. It can be more, um, uh, you know, mental, emotional. It can be more musculoskeletal. And so then coming at it from those, from those two angles and making formulas for people that combine those two things is really, it's, it's been really helpful. And so, yeah, I was, um, I was happy when I first learned that the Chinese government was sending the herbs to the Italian doctors. Um, I hadn't heard that there was such great criticism over it. I think a lot of Western medical professionals got really ticked off in the very beginning because there were a lot of people that came out on the internet and they were proclaiming that X, Y, or Z was going to prevent it, you from getting it, or X, Y, or Z was going to cure COVID or kill it in your, whatever. And so I think that maybe their, their red flag or whatever was like on anything that wasn't, you know, hydrochloroquine or yeah. doxycycline or whatever it is that they're using. Um, so I think that um, there needs to be a balance with, with the way we approach it, um, you know, as far as, as the pharmaceutical thing goes and the herb thing goes and, and a balance in life in general at this point uh, in every realm. So, but even though, even when it's nice outside, like I have still yet to really hear like, any official and you know maybe you have like that has heavily encouraged people to you know maybe like stay within the physical distancing guidelines and you know stay safe um but you know but like get outside in the sunshine you know just get some you know vitamin d you know just because obviously you know like the uvb like you know yep. like is severely detrimental to the virus like all all these things yeah. like, it's just i i just always question like why like these really simple basic things or like right now, like for us in Vancouver, especially because the seasonal affective disorder, SAD, is very prevalent out here. I don't know what it's like, um, like on the East Coast, but like, like everybody's coming into a time where they're going to get severely depressed for the most part. It happens every single year, like clockwork out here. So, you know, because our vitamin D gets so low because we'll go for months without seeing the sun because it just rains all the time, right? So, you know, when you take like these things into consideration, you know, and, and how there's no, there's no talk right now about, hey, October is coming, you know, like, maybe you should get an extra couple bottles of vitamin D now because the stores are probably going to be a little bit low on them. Or if there's that massive influx of people buying vitamin D again, where you can't get vitamin D for a month, you know, you might want to just, you know, stay safe or, you know, like what I have, like every time I do one of these podcasts, I'm always behind my light therapy lamp and stuff, you know, just trying to yeah. help like hedge those bets and stuff on top of being outside. But you know, it's those simple things that I just feel like a lot of our officials here are so scared to like, and a lot of doctors are so scared to just like, just say these few simple things saying, you know, yes, it may not cure it, but it's really going to help. Like these are things that we know now they're really going to help. Or, you know, like I was saying at the beginning, like what's the worst that can happen? Like right. what's the worst that's going to happen from you taking vitamin D knowing that most people are like, chronically low on their vitamin D stores anyway, or trying this, you know, traditional Chinese, you know, herbal mixture, you know, it may not help, but like, what's the worst that's going to happen? Like, are you willing to try something that has the potential to happen 
with next to no side effects. You know, like that's the thing to me that just seems astonishing to us out here. And it's, it, it's like a double whammy because not only is it herbs, it's Chinese herbs, yeah. right? And so now there's the whole, there's been a stigma with China and their products for some time now about them being potentially contaminated or whatever. And so, um, so there's already a couple layers of barrier yeah. in, in describing this to people and the benefit of it. And that, you know, there are a lot of clean Chinese herbs, you know, it doesn't mean you're going to get, you know, a contaminated batch of herbs that's going to like destroy your liver or something. Mm-hmm. There, there, you, you, what are the studies that are done on like how much plastic we ingest? Like, so what, even if you did get like a conventional herb formula for a little while, it's not, it's, it's, it's going to be okay. If it prevents you from going on a ventilator or if it prevents you from having to go into the hospital, if it makes you feel better, you're only taking it for a couple of weeks. It's not like, I mean, people need to, to weigh like, what is the lesser of evils with things? My belief about this or the fact that it actually might work? Like, you know, got to find that, that middle road with things. And um, well, I'd like, like here, sorry to cut you off, but like even here, like there's all like in Canada or the United States, there's always listeria uh, outbreaks. There's always some oh, yeah. outbreaks. I know produce that you're buying in this store because there is like you know like this massive cattle farm down the road from like this lettuce producer and now the lettuce has salmonella over it and like there's all these people says like even if in worshiping those products around the world but we always forget that kind of stuff and it irritates me and the reason why this hits home to me and irritates me so much more is because i drink uh like red panax ginseng and it's from china and like and I have people who criticize me for drinking like Chinese ginseng. And I've never stopped through this whole thing. And I'm like, this has sat on a boat for weeks, if not months, getting here. And I'm like, it doesn't like it, it has met every threshold. I'm like, and just because it comes from China, it's like like death doesn't rain from above from China now. And it, like it's really disheartening, you know, when that's the narrative that has kind of been created where, you know, like like we're so scared of like like anything but we produce a lot of like really terrible diseases <laughs> here that end up around the world too. But yes. we want to sit on our high horse on top of our pedestal and just act like we are like immune to affecting the rest of the world. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Like what are, what are some of the, the blends? Like what are you blending specifically? I don't know if you can share too much. I don't know what the, like the professional guidelines are. And stuff, but like, what what is like a mixture that you guys would make it from a traditional Chinese uh, medicine herbal formula perspective? Um, so there, there's so we do we're we're giving people herbs based on their presentation, mm-hmm. and um, just like I described, there's like an anti-malarial type formula um, that's considered at the middle level of the body that is where pathogens can get trapped or is where they can sneak in, hide out and replicate. And so that formula is a base formula for a lot of what people are being given right now. Um, And the formulas are, 
usually about 15 or 20 herbs. Um, I particularly, I give, a there's a prevention formula I have. And the prevention formula is not saying if you take this, you're not going to get sick. The prevention formula is aimed at decreasing dampness in the system, increasing the circulation in the system, and it has adaptogenic effects so that it's calming for the nervous system. So it's helping one to cope better with stress, sleep better, transform toxins in the body better so that the body is in a better position to fight something off if it does encounter something such as COVID. Um, so that formula has, um, uh, I'm trying to think of what the, what the English terminology is. I wish I had my little book with me because I have it written down in, in uh, English and, and Pinyin. It's got, um, all right, give me a minute because I'm totally blanking. I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> uh, let me, let me get the, um, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll take a second because it is something that I wanted to know because we always, uh, specifically when you and I are talking about just, you know, like when a lot of people talk about traditional Chinese medicine, it always just gets kind of blankedly labeled as, as herbs, you know, but nobody, it, it's never really like explained in any kind of detail. Like for one, like when you said the anti-malaria one, it's like 15 or 20 different kinds of herbs. I would have never have thought that it was that many different herbs yeah. in of these blends. Well, so, so when you look at, when you look at these blends, oh, it should be actually written on my website. If, when you look at these blends of formulas, um, what you're looking at is, uh, a lot of times there are herb pairs that work together synergistically. Mm -hmm. Um, and just like there are point pairs in acupuncture, there are herb pairs in the pharmacopoeia. And so, those herb pairs do specific things in the body. Like a lot of times um, they'll be like Dongwe will be paired with white peony because they work together really well for um, balancing out the liver chi and, and encouraging the smooth flow and nourishment of chi and blood in the, in the body, particularly as it pertains to the liver. So those pairs will be used a lot. In specifically in like um, a Shaoyang type formula, which you might use for a malarial type presentation where you have alternating chills and heat, for example, Chai Hu and Huang Qin are used together. And one is very ascending and one is, it, it helps the whole Qi dynamic in the body move better. Um, it helps to vent pathogens out of that layer that they can get stuck so that they can't proliferate and hide. Um, and it helps to cool the inflammation that arises in the system. So let me find this formula. It is like all those things to you, know, like where we say like that, you know, it's been thousands of years that people have like tried and tested like these different formulas, these different ways. Cause you know, like in nature, there's, there's literally millions of different, um, you know, like herbs and like formulas that could potentially, you know, be concocted. And, you know, you take one of those things out of like a mixture, like it can really change its representation in somebody's 
like system and stuff. And it's just, it's always astonishing to me before there was double blind placebo controlled studies and this, that, and next thing that, like that we just spend enough time working with people and listening to their bodies and understanding their bodies that these formulas were even developed because, you know, like we just don't do that at all now. It's more right. like, let's caution to the wind, hope for the best. And it doesn't even matter how many studies we do. Cause like you said, you know, if you do a study for five years, it doesn't mean in six years that there's not going to be side effects that don't show up. Right. Right. And, and, you know, these formulas, like you said, you can take out or add one thing and it'll change the whole essence of the formula, yeah. you know? Um, and so it's a very intuitive, it's scientific and it's intuitive. Um, so my prevention formula, I, I slaved over this thing for days. I was like, how am I going to make the perfect thing for this particular pathogen um, for the most amount of people mm -hmm. so that I didn't have to keep modifying it for everyone who put in an order. So it's got astragalus in it. It's got attractylodes. It's got um, patchouli in it. It has rhodiola in it, licorice. Um, it has tangerine peel. And it has uh, schizandra berry. It has um, a, a little tiny bit of cinnamon bark in it. And it has, um, I can look these up, but I put Beishashen, Zisuya, Jaegong, I can't remember the English words, um, and Fang Fang in it. And so that's a, it's like such a perfect combination of things to, um, to, to help to balance the immune response and to fortify the person's exterior and to help to keep from things, things from getting in, but also to help to transform dampness and phlegm. And it goes to like the throat and the lungs, but it also is a, it's a really great systemic formula and it's a it's a formula that has an anchor and a ground to it so that it's like it just I, i'm really happy with it and it tastes amazing on top of it so <laughs> so that really helps because it, i had people drinking it as a tea um in the spring and so i may modify it for the for the fall i'm not sure but right now i i kind of really like it as it is and then i've had a couple of folks who um, who have had COVID that I've done some telehealth with and their formulas are more, uh, they're like, they, based on the, the stage of the, of the illness they were in when I got to see them, um, one woman was, was more heat clearing. I had to do like really heat clearing, antimicrobial, and um and and more blood movers and really to just vent so she was someone who presented with uh you know some people are getting that covid rash and so she had the rash all over her back and um so we had to vent that heat and so i think i gave her a mushing shurgan tongue modification which um traditionally would have mahuang or ephedra in it but because of our closed-mindedness, um, our governments do not allow our um, practitioners to have access to this herb because some people make methamphetamine out of it. 
So, um, and then other people have abused it as diet pills and had to take so much of it in such a concentrated form as to give themselves a heart condition. So that got banned. And so it's one of the most amazingly effective herbs that's in so many formulas for external pathogens in the Chinese pharmacopoeia. And unless you know somebody overseas who can get it to you, it is just most practitioners aren't going to get their hands on it. And it sucks because it's really, really, really helpful. And it is also helpful in a lot of cases of COVID. Um, so well, it's even in things like Sudafed, is it not? Yes, yeah. it is. If, but in, in America, you have to go to the pharmacist and give them your driver's license. Yeah, you do here too. So I think they track how much you're buying of it. So if you if somebody's buying an excessive amount of it, then they'll then they'll get a red flag and it they'll think that you know you're making methamphetamine out of it or something. That so. all started at Costco. That story because people were going in and buying it to be able to make uh, methamphetamine out of it, but they were going to Costco and buying it in like super high like dosages. Then you have people going around like these different pharmacies because it's been like that out here for um years and, and everybody in bc is well versed because like like methamphetamine production in bc because it's just in vancouver in general it's a port city it's it's a hub for yeah. everything right yeah. so um yeah. like it's like like it like everything's been banned like that in, in our stores for a long time which is ironic because you could go to a supplement store and still buy eight milligram ephedrine from a sports supplement store for like bodybuilding purposes because it's right. a non-dietary supplement or whatever right so and that makes me think of um, what I, the point I was trying to make a, a minute ago, and I lost track of my thoughts, um, that, you know, when you get Sudafed or you get um, like that supplement you're talking about, you're getting the ephedra or the ephedrine, right? Mm. Um, you're not getting the whole plant. Yeah. And a large mechanism of action behind how all this stuff works and how and behind how the immune system is modulated takes place in the gut with the microbiome. Mm -hmm. And so these, these formulas might look like to us, like they have a lot of stuff in it, but that stuff is feeding the populations of gut bacteria and other microbes that we need to boost in order to get the immune response that we're looking for. Mm -hmm. So there's not, you know, the research isn't there on that. There's not research that I know of. There might be on Huangqi or astragalus because it's so popular on if taking astragalus boosts X, Y, or Z type of microbe, but they can't, they haven't done that with everything. And I don't even know if they've done it with astragalus, but my point is, is that everything that we take in is food for, for some kind of microbe in our body. And that, so these formulas, it's the way I look at it. It's like we're trying to alter the microbiome so that it can do what it needs to do to help the body better sustain the impact of a pathogenic factor such as this. So that's actually something I wanted to talk about today. because We didn't get a chance to, to cover this last time that we talked in. It's been on my mind ever since because typically when we research things or we invest a lot of time into it, it really shifts the way that we think. 
you know, but what you did is, you know, like you wrote this book, you spent all this time researching specifically to do with the gut. And that has a major impact on like all the advice you've ever given, all the advice you're ever going to give, you yep. know, like all the thought process is going to challenge a lot of the information that you learned along the way. How much has it changed you as a practitioner, like just really diving into like, because you've made now several references that like feeding like the, the microbes in, you know, like the micro gut biome and how that really affects our health. Like how much has it changed you writing your last book in the way that you like see yourself in the past in the way that you're going to move in the future? Um, it's made me embody the notion of how the body is nature in a much more potent way than I ever considered before. And it's helped me. So it's helped me to feel my own physicality in a way. And it's also helped me to feel like my own sense of connection with the Tao because everything is so connected and it just helps you to think about things a little bit different. It just kind of tweaks the way that you see things and it makes a lot of information fall into place. It hasn't challenged really anything I've thought. It's, it's helped in so many ways. And um, what even like I took a, a, a class, la was it last year? I can't even remember how far away it was. Maybe it was in January. Um, and we, it was like a um, biodynamic craniosacral class. And the teacher was guiding us through a, a visualization. It was like, it wasn't about the microbiome, but because of the work I had been doing and the writing I was doing, it gave me like a really embodied, practical, real, authentic sense of connection to that other half of myself that I was completely unaware of before. And so I think it's just, I think it, it has helped me to really connect with the word holistic and what that means and um, helps me to impart that principle of holism to my clients. Because once we get, like you really get the principle of our holistic nature, and our nature as nature, it changes everything. It just changes everything. It doesn't change the medicine, but it changes the way I understand it and the way I can explain it to other people. See, and you know, like, and those are, I noticed that too when I take the, the time out because it was about 15 years ago now, like where I spent an entire year all doing a lot of the things I valued most with my eyes closed, you know, because I really wanted to be able to connect with it because like, I finally, like you lose, I, I don't think the average person realizes how much you lose a connection with what you're doing or what you're experiencing, no matter what it is, simply with the visual distraction that's around, even if the visuals represent the action that you're doing, you know, so say for example, if you're in a, in a restaurant and you're eating, 
you know, like, but if you close your eyes and obviously if you smell the smells and you taste the taste more and, you know, you feel the texture of your food, like these things that allow you to have a, a better experience, then I feel like you experience, you know, like those foods better. But like I did it specifically like with working out and, you know, being in the backcountry and a lot of these different activities that I do, you know, and it's amazing. And when you talk about what you're talking about right now, I have that saying that's what makes me smile so much because I'm like, <laughs> when you talk about being able to relay that information to people to a lot greater detail and with a lot greater depth and then people actually can pick those little things out because i feel like our our bodies the more that i've walked down this journey in the last like three four years of like really understanding myself and understanding myself holistically and spiritually and myself as a person there's a lot we miss all the time because we just don't really know how to listen the right ways even when you know how to listen to your body if you're not listening to your body in the right way you miss the entire story so when you when you're talking about this like the best gift that you can offer people is just explaining how to intuitively listen to the story that they need to hear at those times because like you just have this such greater deeper connection with the details and you're just going to be able to relay that onto them so much better yeah yeah what a great gift what are what are some of the things that i i know we talked about this before but every time i i ask this question i know it kind of slightly changed that's why i keep asking this every time that we talk um what are some of the most significant things that you learned about the gut and the micro gut biome? and i ask you this question in relationship um to epithelial cells like you know uh, like leaky gut because it seems like there's an explosion of people the last six months to a year that now all of a sudden like have the gut i know that people are are going and seeking out whether they do and there's a lot more practitioners you know like now looking you know for leaky yeah. gut signs of leaky gut like like what have you learned like the most in specific relation to like leaky gut and why do you think that it is such a chronic problem now and then some of the symptoms that are correlated and then how you kind of come out of that because like like I said, it is like rampant now. It's almost as common as like eating fast food, which obviously we can discuss the correlations between the two, but it's like, but it, it's so rampant. I don't know if you see the same thing, you know? Oh yeah. I think it's, I think more often than not people have it. And do you think that people have always been that way? Or do you think it's specifically because of the way we live our lives now? Because it just seems so prevalent. Like, even with people who are trying to be mindful of like eating healthy and being aware of their body and saying in the foods that they're eating end up with like, you know, having leaky gut or, you know, like different severities of it. And it just seems so common under all these different situations that it's like, have we always kind of lived like this? Or is this a part of who we are? Like, even though it's not specifically who we should be, but like, it just seems so prevalent across the board. Like what's your, yeah. what's your input? I think culturally we're more prone to it. I think that culturally we're more distant from our environment and from our food sources as a whole. I'm not saying, I mean, they're, I'm not talking about people that have grown up on farms. I'm talking about the average person who lives in a big city. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, scientists recognize that all autoimmune conditions are linked to leaky gut. That's what they think now. And an altered gut microbiome or a dysbiotic gut microbiome. 
So how does that happen? All of the things that we've talked about, antibiotic use, mm -hmm. um, excessive eating, not eating in season, um, any habits surrounding food, any, you know, anything that we do can either help or hinder the, the gut microbiome. And if that gets altered somehow, then it can alter the mucosal lining in the GI tract. And then if that is not a habitable environment for our beneficial microbes, then inflammation can result, which can create those gaps between the epithelial cells and the intestinal wall. And then that's where stuff can get through and it gets into the um, lymphatic immune circulation that lines the outer wall of the GI tube. And that chronically creates inflammation, which then creates more gut dysbiosis. And it screws up how the immune system reacts to things so that it starts reacting to its own body. And so, um, or it'll overreact to proteins and foods and stuff like that, because there's just so much inflammation and so much stuff that's gotten through. So, um, so I think it's, I think there are a multitude of reasons why we have this. I think that um, it's, I think that our, you know, too many processed foods for one, and then the antibiotics, um, burning the candle at both ends, reduced uh, uh, tolerance to stress, um, eating late at night, eating out of harmony with the seasons, with what's best for one's body, overindulging in some things and underindulging in others, um, overexercising, underexercising, um, anything that we do habitually, is going to alter the the gut microbiome for the worst. So, and some people are more sensitive than others in that part of their body, right? Everybody's got like their their weak spots, um, and so some people will just get hit harder in that area, and um, and and they'll be more sensitive. And it's not something that is experienced in Aboriginal cultures. They don't get autoimmune conditions. You know, they don't get leaky gut. shocking to me. And the reason why things like that are, like, shocking to me, because, like, a lot of the things that you just, like, outlined are all narratives that are widely accepted. They're not, like, specific theories to you. Like, we all, we all kind of, like, right. know, like, these narratives, right? You know, but, like, when I look back at them, you know, like, like, historically through, like, human history, like, say, for example, you know, a thousand years ago, like, when you have the transition between winter and spring, like, arguably, you'd be the most efficient across the board in almost everything, because your reserves of everything that you've stored up for the winter period are coming to an end. Subsequently, at exactly the same time, when you probably need to be the most productive, because you need to start finding all this stuff that you need to be able, now that you have access to these materials, whether it be, you know, like, foraging or planting or scavenging, like, all these things. So then you'd be heavily taxed. When you're the most depleted, they become like the most heavily taxed, arguably. Like, obviously, I didn't live at that point in time. I've done no real research field to mandate this. But, you know, like, there's all these things that um, I look at that 
kind of coincide with roughly the same narrative that we have now, like stress levels would be high, you know, like back then, because like obviously you'd be coming out this famine state, like, am I going to be able to find enough food? You know, it's like cortisol levels would naturally be higher. Like, like the only thing that really seems to be different out of all of these environments, but outside of processed foods, let's give that. Is that people just really lived more authentically in harmony with nature, which you always bring up, you know, yeah. like we lived a lot more like on the land for the land with the land. We didn't live in these houses. We didn't drive in these cars. You know, we didn't typically have like all of these clothes on or the clothes that we had on were a lot more of a connection with like a natural resource than like Absolutely. synthetic fibers that we have now. There's all these barriers that like come in because a lot of the other things I find that I could find a lot of associations with a, a part of life that would be very similar, you know, except for just like this, this massive disconnection with nature and just being present within nature and allowing a certain a part of nature around us in our environment to connect with our biological being. Cause I, I, I challenge anybody to come spend two or three days a week, like in the back country with me. And like, it just, it changes you as a human being. Like if it doesn't, there's something severely wrong, but like everybody that I've ever brought with me, like it just, you can't explain it. Like, it's not something you can say that, but you know, you've changed. There's something about you that feels different and there's something different going on. And I really believe that all the biological entities that are in that environment, because now you're sleeping on the ground, you know, like you may have this tiny little sleeping pad, you know, between you and the ground, or you may have slept by a fire all night long, you know, and like threw a couple logs on when you periodically warmed up to stay warm and, and you walk around and you're drinking the water out of a creek or a, a lake and you're swimming in it, bathing off and, you know, like all these different things. And I feel like that is such a, a big part of bringing harmony to our bodies that we just completely overlook. Like, do you feel like that's a factor that we should be taking more into consideration? When I think it's like the, one of the number one things to take into consideration. There's a section on forest bathing in the book because it's so important. And for us to be breathing in what is being excreted by the, the flora and fauna is so important too. I mean, there are, there are things that, that molecules that we breathe that are emitted from trees and plants that actually help us feel joy. Mm -hmm. And who knows what else? I mean, they don't know everything else that they don't, science doesn't know everything, you know? Not even so, remotely close. That's what I mean. Like I could never explain how I feel, but like, you know, even just saying there, and I, a lot of people could, you know, it's like, you think if you had high blood pressure, I think like, People historically would have a lot less high blood pressure, simply even if nothing else changed, but just sitting by the water, sitting by a stream, sitting by a creek, sitting by a lake, like there's, it's so peaceful and so joyful. Like I, I would assume that when people seeing these things or just being around it, since we know now through science that these things lower our blood pressure, that these would be another compounding factor saying like just being out there, just being around it. Or like you said, some of the things are just emitted by the different you know, like floor and fauna, while we're walking around, we're inhaling all these things and then yeah. into our body. And like, there's probably never been a study done of, you know, 
500 people randomly walking around in a forest and seeing how it changes their micro gut biome, you know, even if they're just inhaling all of these different environmental factors. You know, and it's very interesting to me to see like, how do we know like some of the things that have such a significant impact on us, but like we, we don't or so, take them into consideration, right? Yeah, sorry, you froze. And so I thought you were done. So I started talking. Oh, so, so yeah, go ahead. It was just like, I was basically just finishing off by saying that like, it's, we, we will never really truly know or be able to appreciate the amount of impact that this has on our body. But like, I know like how significant it is. Yes. And that's why it's important for people like you to be offering that information to other people. And, and it's why I continuously point out that science is constantly proving the information that's been handed down for millennia to be true. And it's constantly proving what your embodied experience is of being out in the woods, right? There's always some kind of scientific study related to something like that. You can find something related to it online. And um, it's just, it, it boggles my mind why we have to wait for a double blind placebo controlled study to come out about this one little teensy tiny piece of information when we've got the entire encyclopedia at our fingertips, mm -hmm. you know, it's, that whole thinking it's just an erroneous belief that we need to see things so black and white like that because yes that connection with nature i believe is probably one of the primary things that causes the dysfunction in the microbiome and the leaky gut like you're talking about and and perhaps many other things as well um just in terms of seasonal change, like you mentioned going from winter to spring, the body knows what foods traditionally for the last, like you said, thousand years have been available in that transition, right? So the microbiome in the gut starts to change when the climate changes, when the season changes, and it shifts toward being able to better digest what it knows is coming. Mm. And... So it does that. So maybe we go into spring and we have lighter things available to eat again, but instead we're still eating, you know, the meat and potatoes from winter or whatever, or, you know what I mean? Like we're eating like the heavier, fattier stuff that our body had adapted to digest better in the winter, or we're overindulging on nuts and seeds in the spring and in the summer when those are especially nuts are heavier, oilier, denser, they're easier to digest in the wintertime because our bodies are used to digesting them then. And Ayurveda even says that the Agni or the digestive fire gets stronger in the winter. So we may, uh, that's because that, those are the foods that were available, things that are heavier. And that's what we had to digest, right? Uh, so the body knows but we need to get our minds out of the way and listen to what the body is saying or else we're not going to make it <laughs> and not well anyway, you know, it's, you think we're too far down the road to really make a significant uh, societal shift. You know what I'm saying? Like if we are going to collectively be whole, like as a nation, you know, as a continent, you know, as a planet, like, 
like these are the things that we need to gravitate more towards, you know, like back to like, do you think we're too far past that to, to make that shift? You know, you know, I look at, sorry, I just look at no, these no, things no. with like everything going on with the, um, with COVID-19 right now. And, you know, like we had a great opportunity to change, but the one problem that I find is like, we kind of alluded to before is that like our leadership doesn't want to change. So like, like there's just, there's been no actual real change and this has been a great time for change. You know, when we look at like, what's the one of the number one things that they did out here that frustrated everybody in BC, they closed outside. Like they just, they yeah, shut down our provincial national way. parks and everything. And it's just like, know. you know, when you have our leadership in like how perverse is that like I've always had a hard time with like how you close down nature but I know and like know, closing beaches in Hawaii and stuff it's like yeah. what are what's everybody gonna do <laughs> yeah well not only that but it's just like when it, it, it when it's so healthy in so many ways and especially when it comes down to like the UVB light and vitamin D like how you should be encouraging people to be able to go outside and you know like right. yes you know stay socially distanced part like not encourage everybody maybe to like shake hands and hug and stuff now but like Go outside, be in nature. When we know all of these things can really help, but when our leadership continually tells us like not to do these things that we just know, and I think fundamentally we know them too. I think we feel them inside. Like that's why we have like always the intense. Like I need to get outside. I should go outside, and we just become very disjointed from it. But I feel like no matter who you are, there gets to be a point where it's like you just know you need to go outside and get some fresh air. You know, like we've all heard that, we've all seen it and stuff, but like. Like, do you think that we're too far past, like, a, as a society, or do you think that there's still some hope for us? Well, I always think that there's hope, and I think there's more hope for individuals than there is for the collective at this point. Um, I'd like to have hope that things can change, but I'm also pretty realistic, and I look at the past, and you know, I don't think I we might have more technology and gadgets and stuff, but I don't really think like as societies go, we've changed that much mm -hmm. in the past thousand or two thousand years. I mean, you know, in the yoga teachings, it talks about samsara and this and that there's this layer of reality that is governed by illusion and it's it's just in a sense like what you're talking about with the political figures who don't want to actually change and embrace growth and and evolution and collective well-being it's like that dichotomy has always been there like throughout human civilization has always been there. Can we break through and get through it? I don't know. I, I, I do the best that I can as an individual. And I believe there are many individuals who can do that and who are doing that. But based on what's happened in the past over and over again, I, I don't, foresee that happening globally anytime soon mm -hmm. it would be beautiful if it did and we started to see it like when when covid first um at least 
in the United States, we started to see it in that um, when people started taking it seriously and realizing that it was definitely happening and everything first set, shut down, there was like a, there was a vulnerable pause where everyone was kind of in their vulnerability and extraordinarily supportive. And it lasted probably a week or two, <laughs> but it was really beautiful, right? Everyone was like, not necessarily in their pain body, as Eckhart Tolle would call it, but, but open and vulnerable and sensitive and their walls were down and, it, and raw. And everyone was kind of, maybe not everyone, but most people that I know were in the same kind of space. And so there was so much just support that came through with that. And that gave me hope when I saw that everyone was able to really rally like that. It seems like it takes a massive crisis for people to get to that space. Like it happened with 9-11. And I was just about to say the same thing. Yeah. Like, it, you know, you've seen a lot of that, especially in the United States with like 9-11. You hear a lot of people talking about it now about like the how, like the patriotism that, you know, then was reinstilled back in like, you know, US citizens, you know, like more flags, you know, more talk, you know, more pride. But so then but I ask you this. About that. It was more about feeling a sense of camaraderie. Yeah. And a sense that we're not on this pedestal above the rest of the world. We're part of the world. We're in it. We're not isolated from it. Like we kind of had the illusion of, of being. And that opened up that like vulnerable space where it just changes your framework for seeing reality and it helps you to connect with other people on a much deeper level. And I think the entire city of New York and, and, and out into, you know, the whole state and into the whole country, I mean, really felt that, yeah. um, you know, because anyone who's had any connection with New York would have felt would have felt a grief over that and it would have opened them would have opened their heart a little more and and so that's what i mean so when i said that that happened then it wasn't that i wasn't talking about that patriotism stuff i was talking about more of that heart opening so then let me ask you like do you think that the the tragedies that we've seen and let's just say 9 11 and COVID 19 just for easy reference um, do you think that they haven't been bad enough for long enough <laughs> for there to actually be like a change? Because like you right. said, COVID-19 was like a week or two, you know, 9-11, you could probably say it was a few months, you know, it was a little bit longer, you know, than what COVID-19, you know, like, you know, has been. But um, do you think that we need something more substantial to really say, okay, like, you know, because really at the end of the day, like we just go back into like our own individual narratives. Like, you know, we kind of forget that like, you know, like we are these communities of people. Like you said, like we're, we are a part of the world. We not, we aren't the world, you know, and that, that becomes into our little bit more of our subset of us is like that we are individually a part of this world. We're not just ourselves. And like, that's kind of where we all kind of naturally gravitate uh, back to like, do you think that we need something a little bit more or like say of the same severity, but just last a little bit longer to say like, look, people like we all need to work towards this common goal. And when we're working towards like our individual goals, like it, and not looking at from like a collective goal, like it, it, 
it doesn't allow us to be able to heal because you know when we get back into like you know like okay well i still need this car i still need this boat i still need this house i still need this and i still need that like it really we just become again so entrenched in like what we're doing and we forget about the the experience around us i don't think that we can do that anymore as much as we have in the past and i think that i think that you know the the initial thing where people's hearts were more open was a couple of weeks but the tragedy is still here it's still happening and it's manifesting in in ways like we never even considered like nothing will ever be the same again after this right everything's changed somehow and um even anger like you know like anger to me has changed so much like that's what i was gonna say it was like after that heart opening part then however a person normally normally reacts in a stressful situation started to come out right so then it's like well who can we blame or um you know it's every all the conspiracy theories start to come out i'm not saying there isn't a shred of truth in some of those but what i'm saying is that that tended to be the the focus and the intention oh here's the the truth that i'm going to believe and and here's this and i believe this so you're wrong about that so it was like all of that that connection that we had just come upon immediately started to get broken apart and people started to like go after each other and it's and and you just see how that's manifested in one way it has manifested is through a lack of leadership obviously that is not encouraging a cohesive um empath empathic way of being for one another it's a divisive message that's being put across and that's only fracturing us e even worse i think and um i i don't i mean I don't know why anyone would need it to get much worse than it is. I mean, I can only imagine what much worse would be. I don't want to see it. You know, I don't want to see a world war. I don't want to see an epidemic worse than this one. Mm -hmm. um, but if that's, is that what needs to happen for, for everybody to wake up? I certainly hope not. This is just bad enough. It really is. And, um, so like it, where I see this to be like, like, and I realize that these are completely different narratives, but like where I say, like when we're faced with extreme situations and we see no change when rightfully so, like obviously the escalation of like Black Lives Matter and a lot of the atrocity that's happening in the United States for this man to get shot in the back seven times, right? You know, what a month or a month and a half or whatever after like everything like happened with the other gentleman, like, like it's just we never like we're just not learning we're not learning like, yeah. like but that's what we do right like as individuals some people are exceptions granted but as individuals the average person like how much do we need to hear the same thing before we're like oh i just realized or how much do we need to experience a consistent pattern of behavior in our lives before we're like, oh my God, 
I don't want to do this anymore. You know, so it's like what, what's happening on a societal level, this is just my perspective, is what we do as individuals. And that's why it's so important as individuals to not do that anymore, to call yourself out on your BS yeah. and, and to shift. And then maybe from there, it will spread. That paradigm will spread. But if we remain engaged in the current paradigm, it's not going to change. Well, and you know, and like my like thought process that coincides with yours very much so is that when we have an individual that has, you know, the ability to be able to shift a society so much for like you said, like there's always going to be that bad apple or like that person that takes a little bit longer. So like, for example, like this cop that has, you know, shot this man in the back, like sometimes or whatever, you know, like that one individual now has such influence over millions, tens of millions of people, you know, like, you know, those people were healing, you know, they were shouting down the road, that person sucks them all back. Like when we have, when we have so much interaction between like individuals, I think when we had more of a disassociation from ourselves and less influence over each other, like when there was less communication, you know, like from a global perspective, whether it be through news or social media or however, like you're being influenced around when we had smaller pockets, it seems like there was a lot greater opportunity to be able to heal because we had less opportunity to be able to be affected by other people and less of those bad apples or those people, you know, being a bad influence on the rest of the people that being exposed and brought to everybody's attention in such explosive ways, you know, because like that pulls a lot of people back in like a really bad direction, even though we know that all cops aren't like that. We know that it was like a relatively isolated incident, even though that, there seems to be a lot, you know, of like that stuff that's gone on in the past with the amount of interactions that happen with police and, you know, citizens, they're still smaller part of the overall interactions, but the amount of influence that it has over everybody, what had the amount of influence has over our society is, is astronomically high, yeah. you know, and like, that's where I say, you know, like what, what needs to happen before we actually take the time out to say, what we're doing right now is clearly not working. You know, it, it, like even when we have a chance to heal, like where you were saying, like we open our hearts, like is that really the extent of the human experience right now where we open our hearts for a week or two and then we're like, fuck that shit. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean, like, like is that really what it's boiled down to or like that's the best it gets for us when being empathetic to like everybody else that our threshold is a week or two but it's realistic though like you're just calling a spade a spade yeah. but like that's not good like it's like laugh about it because it's funny because it should be this so far from like how like we were great which ironically when you look at um like the correlation between that and like, you know, traditional Chinese medicine, you know, like it, it, they're on both sides of that. Like really like traditional Chinese medicine is like nurturing. Let me get to know you. Like, let's build this relationship. Let me have empathy for you. Like, let's understand who you are. And then, you know, we get into this where it's just like, well, a global pandemic is going to allow me to open my heart to you for a week. And then I'm just going to close that right back off because I'm now polarized back in another direction. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, it's like, it just, that's why I say to you, like, what, what does it need to be? And I challenge people with this question all the time because I don't feel like we learn our lesson at all at, anymore. Like, 
there's nobody getting a wooden spoon on the ass anymore. And it's kind of like, it's just, yeah. we get these little tastes and it's like yeah. in Canada now, like our federal government has decided to extend the, you know, the emergency response money, like another few months. And then they said they're going to disband with that program and have another program that they're going to reintroduce or introduce to be able to, you know, have funds. And it's like, I get it. Like, you know, we do need to support each other to, to some extent, but like, it's that kind of where we never really, where we never really learn. Like, you know, like there's just, w w there needs to be something that just kind of like stops and stops for long enough where we have this little bit of a reset and then hopefully it can last more than like a week or two because now, you know, like instead of there being something that's beneficial to us, now you just have a ton of people who are abusing it. You know, so yeah. like now we've kind of gone the other way with the empathy. So we have like, this government that's trying to be empathetic and now you have people taking advantage of it and now it's hurting us even more and now it's created more of a social divide and now we're back to like what we just talked about we're now you have two people two sides arguing exactly. with exactly that's all that's ha and that's why i always draw it back to the teachings of yoga because it's all it's yoga psychology yoga isn't just like an esoteric practice or a philosophy it's an actual psychology based upon larger principles of that have it has a whole cosmology behind it and everything and it's it all boils down to that it's about attachment and aversion and what are you attached to and what do you have an aversion to and why and what's real what's true um you know what what is what's true or truth with the capital t not just what do you believe or what do you think or what's your opinion or what do you want to believe it's about serious inquiry and investigation and, and like i said calling yourself out on your own bs because it's all this mental stuff that we do to keep ourselves locked in these patterns that are comfortable whether they suck or not <laughs> as i was <laughs> gonna say some of them aren't even comfortable yeah like so, right. some of them aren't comfortable you just marinate in them anyway you just exactly. like exactly creatures of habit yeah yeah and so there's this idea of samsara and and like the teachings in yoga the teachings in taoism um and, and in many other traditions they're more about they're more about a practical like study of oneself and what one really is like your body is nature you know your mind and your body are not separate your mind operates on certain principles, body operates on certain principles, the vitality that flows through operates on certain principles. How can you harmonize those three things? And how can you see through the samsara or the illusion or the BS that's going on in the world around you? Like in the Bhagavad Gita, they, t and they talk about like, um, how like life is like a play and everyone's an actor on the stage and that that's the illusion you know um and that really when you get to the truth of something and you recognize the truth of of who you are of what you are then you're able to understand and see what's going around going on around you like then you're able to see all that like what you just said about the polarity and how choo 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 it just goes like that and all of a sudden you're right back at pointing fingers and blaming and being angry and 
And that's, that's the illusion. That's the samsara. That's not real. You're not taking that with you when you die. So, you know, we have to, I think, as, as a whole, come to this realization that there are things that are more important than playing the blame game or being locked in, in habitual trauma patterns and reactivity. Um, that, that that crap's not important. And, you know, we all get caught in it sometimes, but just to try and practice to at least do your best to not stay there and to recognize it so it doesn't happen again or it doesn't happen as seriously next time. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's, it's everything that I've ever studied from Eastern philosophy and science and medicine almost everything i shouldn't say everything because some of that is i don't agree with either but for the most part it's all true and it is playing out like i was seriously immersed in the yoga world for a very long time and i did not see the teachings of yoga play out as vividly and as clearly and as ridiculously <laughs> as I'm seeing them right now. Yeah. And it is just astonishing. And I think, I think a lot of people are onto that, but they don't, it's frustrating because you don't know what to do with it. And, um, and that's why I just keep going back to my own inner practice because that's the, that's the most important thing that I can do, I think, to change the vibration. Mm -hmm of myself, for my family, and, and in the air around me so that, you know, there is more of a sense of hope and that there is maybe more of a vibration that other people, like-minded people, will kind of start to incorporate. Like, we need to be the example for others by being that example ourselves, you know? You know, um, it is, it's very interesting to me like when you say that that we are arguably coming up to a time where there's more natural disasters there's more potential for famine there's more potential for droughts which if food scarcity becomes you know like an issue you know obviously we're dealing with pandemics like terrorism's been a hot thing for obviously like the last almost 20 years now um or 15 years and uh but this has also been at a time where yoga's never been as globally prominent as what it has ever been is at that exact same time. And then what's the most important thing? Like hot yoga. Yeah. Like it's like what yoga is, is like completely, it's, it, we have access to it like no one in history has ever had. Yeah. There have never been so many reputable yoga teachers there have never there have never there's never been such widespread access to truthful teachings like anyone who wanted to go study yoga 2000 years ago wasn't able to you yeah. know a hundred years ago anyone who wanted the hatha yoga pradipika or the bhagavad gita or patanjali's yoga sutras weren't giving given access to that let alone connection with the teacher who'd be able to explain it in a practical way that would help that person actually realize the information. Mm -hmm. So yes, we have the access to it, but then still there's the polarity, right? Yeah. The politics in yoga in the yoga world can be yeah. just as bad as in any fortune 500 company. So it's like, 
you know, it's just, it's more the same. We're still, all comes, and it all comes down to our ego though too, right? We're like, everybody yeah. wants to be the person that has something or has created something that's a little bit different instead of something, you know, like, like yoga where, you know, you could take the practice, something that has been, you know, very much refined over thousands of years. Like this very old, but like everybody, everybody nowadays wants to be the person where they've made this thing a little bit better. Like, a, like I'm the one who have done this. I think when we learn to kind of give, give in to like a certain few things like that are very holistic, you know, like where it is something as simple as, you know, yoga or walking into nature, go, going and sitting by the stream, like these things where like, you just don't have to make some things better. You can just do yeah, them. Yeah. They're just great. <laughs> You know, but like, that's where the polarity comes in because then it's like, I am this person's way. I'm this person's way. You know, like I invented this, I came up with this strategy. This is my time. And like, you know, but like, there's a point where, again, it's just like, let's just get back to the part where like, these things are just good because they just are good. They feel good. They do good things for us and just be a part of something that makes you feel whole. Yeah. 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 Nicely said. Yeah, go ahead. I said nicely said. Yeah, and I was say, maybe that's a great place, some food for thought for everybody to be able to end it and they can go read some books on uh, harnessing and letting go of your ego. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Well, have a, a wonderful day. And again, it's always a privilege to be able to have you on. Throw the book in there again for anybody who may have listened to this one that didn't listen. Oh, yeah. There we go. I like it. I can't wait to get my hands on the copy. Cultivating your microbiome. Yep. And, uh, Chinese practices for healthy gut and a clear mind. And uh, the cleanse that I'm leading this month is in the back of the book, but the cleanse that I'm leading is going to be much more involved than what's in here, but we're going to use a lot of the information that's in here. And um, that starts on the day the book gets released, actually, September 22nd. So if anyone's interested in doing a two-week Ayurveda-inspired microbiome dietary and lifestyle reset, <laughs> oh, go to BridgetShea.com and there's information there on that or you can just message me, um, Facebook, uh, go to Ageless Acupuncture or Bridget Shea, my author page, um, or it's probably easiest just to go onto the website, BridgetShea.com. Yeah, we should do like a, like a shorter one, maybe like a 20 or 30 right before that search just to kind of get everybody's gears because I'm sure by the time September 22nd comes around with kids going back to school and lives being hugely changed yeah. like people are going to need a little bit of a, a little bit of reset button and absolutely something just to kind of prompt that because I think it's going to be well needed you know by the time the end of September rolls around you know because obviously kids have already started to go back to school in sub provinces in Canada and I know in BC like our kids go back to school in a couple weeks from now and is mm -hmm. going to be some interesting times coming up. So we'll have to do yeah. something yeah. that for sure. And I'm sending out information about it and I'm doing some talks on, um, on Facebook. I've, I've had one this morning on cleansing in the microbiome. So, and that's a free talk I'm going to give a couple times a month. It'll be on different topics each time pertaining to the microbiome. But if you, if anyone's interested in learning about some of the offerings that I have like that, those free talks or the cleanses or the lifestyle challenge, then if they go to my website, they can register for the newsletter. I don't send a newsletter out every single day. 
So it's not like you're going to be, you know, registering for email spam. <laughs> it'll be, it'll, it's, it's modulated. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's not over the top. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, have yourself a wonderful day. Enjoy the All rest. Right. Thank you too. Bye. Bye.